was in high school, I can't remember the exact year, probably like sophomore year or so, there was myself and two other guys from the church were, were asked to go and clean out an attic for a, uh, a local business. I believe it was one of our, it wasn't mine, I would know that, but it was one of the other guys, it was their family member, owned a business building, about three stories, uh, renovated house, and they had an attic just full of garbage that just needed to be, uh, you know, needed to be thrown away. They had uh, trash, they had old books, they had papers and files and furniture, all this stuff. And so they asked us if we would come in one, uh, one evening and just clean it out for them. So we said, sure, but we'll be over. And uh, we came over and we went up the stairs, we went to the attic, and we saw that there was just tons of stuff. I mean, it was a packed attic. And so we started to work, and we started bringing all the trash down as quickly as we can. But it was three flights of stairs. So very quickly we realized this was going to take forever. Like we were going to be here all night for the next 10 nights. Like this was going to be a long, there was furniture and it was going to be a lot of work. And so we were thinking to ourselves, like, how are we going to like make this work faster? How are we going to do this? And so I, I think it was me actually, I looked over and I saw that there was a window in the attic. And so I went over and we opened up the window to make sure it would. And wouldn't you know that it led right out into the backyard where there was a dumpster for us. Like it was all ready for us. It was great. So we just said, you know what? Instead of carrying this stuff down the, uh, the stairs, let's just start throwing everything out the window. We could throw it out. It'll be on the lawn. And then we'll go put it in the dumpster later. And so it was great. So for the next, like, it probably only took us like 20 minutes. We just started throwing everything out the window. Furniture, boxes, books. I think we found, like, bowling balls. And we were throwing them at things to make them explode. Like, it was great. We were having a blast. And then we went downstairs. And we got into the yard. And we realized that things that had once been one piece were now 50 pieces scattered across the yard. That that bowling ball, as cool as it was, had just made like 10 times more work for us. And what once used to be an attic that, you know, maybe it seemed like a tall task, but at least everything was there. We knew where it was. Now all of a sudden there was things all over the yard. And we realized this is going to take us 10 times as long to now clean up. And so that's what we had to do for the rest of the evening is go and make uh, fix our mistake of deciding to throw it out the window. And uh, that was how we spent our night. And I was thinking about that story, and I think, you know, that's kind of the way life can be, isn't it? Like, what seemed to be a good idea in the beginning ends up just creating ten times more of a problem in our lives. What seemed to be a great idea and had some merit in the beginning has the power sometimes to just shatter our lives and leave us just feeling like our lives are in a million pieces and we're just trying to figure out how we can bring it all back together and make sense of it all. How many of you have ever been in that type of a situation before? If you're just, just kind of joining us here at the church, we've been in a series this fall called Finishing Strong. And uh, the whole idea of this series has been that following Jesus is not just a one-time moment. It may, you may choose to follow Jesus in a moment, but following Jesus is a lifelong journey. It is a lifetime journey of following him, worshiping him, and growing to be more like him. Last Sunday, um, if you were here, uh, our student pastor, Pastor Brian, gave us a truly incredible message on what it meant to be planted in Jesus and to be growing in him every day. We had so many phone calls and emails of people that were encouraged last week. And so if you missed last week's sermon, please go on our app, check out our YouTube channel, get caught up on, uh, on that message because it was fantastic. 
But really, it gets to the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ, is that you and I are not meant to decide to follow him and then just kind of coast for the rest of our lives. We were meant to follow him each day, to grow in him, become more like him for his glory, and discover the purpose that he has created us for. You know, the Bible um, oftentimes kind of gives illustrations to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 7, this is Paul talking. He says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And we see some of that imagery at other points in the Bible of faith kind of being like a race. It's not this one-time moment. It's not a sprint. It's more of a marathon. And it's not a race against anyone else. It is simply used as this illustration to remind us that following Jesus isn't just going to happen in one moment. We are following Jesus every day, and every day we're supposed to be growing in our faith. We're supposed to be coming more like him. Um, as Pastor Brian shared last week, in every season... We are to be bearing fruit of a believer in Christ. And so this series has really been all about how no matter how long we have known Jesus, no matter how uh, recent we may have come to him, all of us, no matter how we stepped in this morning, we can begin to grow in him and finish strong for his glory. We don't just want to begin strong in our faith. We want to finish strong in the end. And there's a lot of things that threaten to kind of knock us off course. You know, just like a race, there's a lot of... Things that could happen in the course of a race. There could be an injury. There could be a detour. There could be dehydration. There's a lot of things that could happen in a race that could knock you off course. There's a lot of things that could knock us off course in our race, in our walk with Jesus Christ. And some of you might be facing something that's threatening to knock you off course. Maybe it's a, a sickness or illness that has just rattled your life and it's threatening to knock you out of the race. Maybe... It's just a life change, a circumstance, a relational issue, something that has happened that it has all the power and all the potential to knock you out of this race and move you further away from Jesus Christ. And what we've been talking about specifically, though, are sometimes those outside forces that, can, that threaten to knock us out. You know, I don't know if you guys were paying attention at all. Um, we try our best, you know, not to ever bring politics into church as much because we believe our faith is not in government. Our faith is in the name of Jesus Christ that we just worship. But I don't know if you guys noticed this past week, um, there were several um, presidential candidates that actually came out and said, if churches don't get behind our way of thinking and our ideology, it would mean punishment for churches and for pastors. And so we are growing in a time that it's not even enough to say that it's just a non-Christian culture. It's starting to become anti-Christian. It's starting to become against God. And the longer that we go, it's only probably going to get worse. And it's going to become more and more imperative that we are planted in God's word, that we are planted in our faith so that we can finish strong. And that's what this whole series is about is that no matter whether it's something external like that or whether it's something that we face in our personal lives, our goal is that every single person in this room would finish strong for the glory of Jesus Christ. Like the song just said, that one day we will see Jesus face to face. That's the definition of finishing strong is when we see Jesus face to face. And that's what we want for everyone and that's why we've been doing this series. But a few months or a few weeks ago when I began thinking about what I would want to share today, what I thought the Lord was leading, the thought occurred to me that there might be some of us here today, whether we've admitted it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, that yes, we want to talk about finishing strong, and yes, that sounds great, but you don't even think or you don't even feel like you can talk about finishing strong because right now you don't even feel like you're in the race. 
It's like you want, to, you want to think about growing in your faith, but right now there are things that are happening in your life and you don't even feel like you're in the race right now. You feel like you've got knocked off course. You feel like you've taken a detour somewhere. And maybe you feel like I did and my friends did in the attic when a decision you've made, maybe it was something you said, a relational situation, something happened, and it has left your life in shatters. And it has left your life in pieces. And you can't even begin to think about racing for Jesus because you're just trying to pick up all the pieces of your life and try to make sense of all of this. And the reality is, is that that is probably the ultimate thing that can take us off course with Christ. And that's our sin and the mistakes and the failures and how we handle when we fail and how we handle the things that take place in our lives. And so the thought was just heavy on my heart that there might be some of you here today that you want to think about finishing strong, but it doesn't seem to matter right now because you're just trying to get back in the race and you don't even know how to begin that. The Apostle John, he shared some incredible words. Um, the Apostle John, he, he wrote multiple books of the New Testament and one of them, he wrote, to a, uh, he wrote a series of books to some churches um, and so if you want to turn, we're only going to be there for a second, but if you want to turn, it's in 1 John chapter 2. He gives these in just really powerful words that I think can speak to us today. In 1 John chapter 2, he says, my dear children, he says, my dear children, he's talking to these churches. He says, I write to you so that you will not sin. I write these things to you so that you will not sin. And so right out of the gate, he makes it very clear what his purpose is, what his intention is. He says, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. Now, that can be a little bit of a, a tricky thing because a lot of us feel like, well, I know I'm going to sin. How can I not sin? And that will make more sense as we go forward. But he is saying, listen, I knew Jesus for three years. I saw his teachings. I witnessed his miracles. I saw his death and his glorious resurrection. And when I look back on everything I experienced with Jesus, what I believe is that there is freedom from sin in this life. That you do not have to be bound to your sin. You don't have to be a slave to your sin. There is freedom found in Jesus Christ. And if maybe you're newer here to our church, you know, what we define sin as, what we believe the Bible defines sin as, is missing the mark. Missing the mark that God has set forward. And uh, Paul would say in the book of Romans that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. There's none among us that are perfect. We all have fallen short of God's glory. And all of us stand guilty before God. All of us stand guilty before Him and in absolute desperate need of rescue. Someone to come and save us. But John, you know, he's coming out here and he's saying, Listen, I'm writing all of these things to you so that you won't sin. But the question that most of us would have when we read that is, but what happens if I do sin? You know, it's great to know that I don't have to. It's great to know if I'm free, but what happens if I do? What happens if I make a mess of everything? What happens if my life is in shatters and my life is in shambles? What do I do then if I fall out of the race? And in the next verse, it's so powerful. I love what he says. He says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He says, listen, I, I believe that there is freedom from sin. I believe that you can be free from the power of sin in your life. But I want you to be encouraged because if you do sin, and how many of you, I think all of our hands will go up, have sinned before. We all have fallen short. We all fail. He says, if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. And his name is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he's giving this, this imagery almost of a courtroom. 
And I, I read this the other day. I was just, it just encouraged me so much. It's like, imagine that you're in a courtroom and you're the one on trial. And all court long, they are leveling the charges against you. And every single one of them are true. Every single thing they bring at you, it is absolutely true. You are guilty as charged. And at the very end, before they are about to lay down your sentence, there is someone that stands up and says, Your, your Honor, yes, all of that stuff is true. They've done everything that you've said. But I believe that there's more to their story. I'm still rooting for them. I still believe that God's not done with them yet. And that's what Jesus has done. Because every single one of us stand guilty before God. Every one of us stand condemned before God because of our sin. But Jesus came to be our advocate. Jesus came to say, I know that they've failed. I know that they've sinned. I know that they have made a mess of everything. But I know that God's got more. I know that this isn't the end of their story. I know that it doesn't have to end right now. I know that God's got a plan. He's got a future. He's got a purpose for that individual. And that one failure doesn't have to dictate their future. God's got something greater for them. God's got something more. That's what it means to be an advocate. Even though we are guilty, Jesus came and said, but I believe that God's got something greater. And that's why he came. In the next verse, uh, John explains why he is the advocate. He says, because he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for our sins, but the sins of the entire world. He says, this is why he is our advocate, because not just anyone could advocate for us before God, because all of us stand guilty. It needed to be someone different. And this is the whole point of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came in the flesh as the son of God. He lived a perfect life and then he offered that life in our place. He took on the punishment that we deserved so that if anyone would place their faith in him, we would be set free and we would find the hope that is found in his name and his name only. That's why he is the advocate. That's why only he can save us. That's why his name is where hope lies because only Jesus came, gave his life, rose from the dead, and now stands as the hope for all mankind. And so I want to encourage you today, no matter where you've at, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've experienced, your failures don't have to dictate your future because Jesus is advocating for you, because Jesus still believes in you, because Jesus has not given up on you, Jesus is not through with you, Jesus has more for you. Say amen if you believe that God's got more for you. Amen. And when I read this verse this week, you know, the, the great thing about reading, you know, the writings of John is that John has multiple books that he has written. And so you kind of get to get a feel for where John is coming from. And John wrote one of the four gospel accounts of Jesus's life. And what's interesting about the four gospels is that the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are very similar. There's a lot of similar stories. There's a lot of things that they share in common. But John's book is pretty unique. I mean, most of the stuff that he writes about seemed to be very personal to him, things that impacted his life. And when I thought about when he writes that Jesus was the advocate, the thought was that, I, that I had was, I wonder if there was a moment where that became real to John. I wonder if there was a moment where he saw that in practice, where he saw what that looked like for Jesus to be the advocate. And wouldn't you know, there is a story in John chapter 8 that I think perfectly describes what it means to have Christ as our advocate. And so we're going to spend the rest of the time there. If you want to open to John chapter 8, we're going to start right at verse 1. And this is probably one of the more famous stories in the Bible. We've all heard it before. But I just think every time I read this story, I'm encouraged. 
I'm challenged, but I'm reminded of the great power of God in our lives. And so if you're there, it's John chapter, chapter 8, verse 1. And it starts by saying this. It says, Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where the people were gathered around him, and he sat down to teach him. But then the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, of, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, but what do you say? And they were, say, they were using this question as a trap in order that they would have basis to accuse him. So here to kind of set the stage, Jesus is preaching in the temple. And that's significant because the temple is where judgment came down. The temple is where people came to meet with God and where judgment could be handed down. And so Jesus is teaching in the temple, knowing the reputation of Jesus. Probably hundreds, if not thousands of people were already there to listen to him. And in the middle of his teaching, there's a rumbling in the crowd. And maybe no one knew what it was in the beginning. But what it was, was there was a group of religious leaders, a group of Pharisees, who had caught a woman in the very act of adultery. It doesn't say that she was a known adulterer. It says she was caught in the act. Now, there's a whole bunch of questions that need to be answered there that we don't have the time to get to today. But my question is, how did they know? Was it a setup? Where was the man? Where is he in this whole story? It almost gives this idea that they were just setting this woman up to come and accuse Jesus. But regardless of that, they caught this woman in the act of adultery and they dragged her out of the home that she was in and dragged her through the city. And I can only imagine that as they're taking her through the city, people are starting to get wind of what's happening. They're hearing what's going on. They know what this might mean. And so they all begin to follow and they all begin to join in. And people are starting to whisper and rumors are starting to get around and word is starting to spread. Until finally, I got to imagine, there was just a mob of people that were finally there to witness this moment between Jesus, the Pharisees, and this woman. And when they finally get to Jesus, they throw her down at his feet. I imagine she's bloody she scrapes she's bruised and they throw her down at the feet and they look Jesus right in the eye and they say Jesus we've just caught this woman in the very act of adultery and our law says that we are supposed to kill her today we are supposed to stone her but we want to know what you say and then I mean some of the most maybe sick words in all of the Bible it's not that the Bible is sick but what these men said it says that they did this just so that they would have a basis to accuse Jesus and I mean, if you just think about the sickness of that, they were willing to kill this woman just to prove a point. They were willing to end this woman's life just to prove a point. But they look at Jesus and they say, what would you do? What do you do? Now, I love Jesus. In the, I mean, I always love Jesus. But I love Jesus in this moment. I love what he does. It says, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus wrote on that moment. People will be going back and forth for the rest of time trying to figure out what he wrote. Some people think that he was writing the names of the accusers. Some people think he was maybe writing the Ten Commandments. Some think he was writing the sins of the accusers. That'd be crazy. But there's endless things. I Sometimes when I read this, I almost just get the image that Jesus just didn't have time for these Pharisees. And he, was just, he couldn't believe what he was watching in front of us. But in the midst of this question... Jesus says something powerful. Instead of just giving an answer, pointing a finger, anything like that, he stoops down to the woman's level. 
He gets down to her level and he begins to write in the sand. And regardless of what he wrote, he was identifying with the woman in that moment. He wasn't standing with the Pharisees any longer. He was kneeling with the woman in that moment. He got down on her level and he identified with her. But it says that he continued to write and obviously the Pharisees were confused and they continued. And so it says in verse 7, When they kept on questioning, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And so they keep pressing, they keep pressing. And finally, Jesus has had enough and he finally realizes it's time to end this. And he stands up in a way that only Jesus could do. He says, you know what? If you want to stone her, go ahead. She's a sinner, right? She's, she's messed up, right? She's failed, of course. So you can go ahead and kill her. But I want you who have never sinned, who have never failed, who are perfect, I want you to come first, and I want to throw the stone. I want you to be the one to cast the first stone. I want you who have set this woman up. I want you who decided that you didn't need to bring the guy. You only needed to bring her. I want you who have never sinned. You come first, and you cast the first stone. One of the most powerful words that have ever been spoken, because at that words, those stones began to fall. In that moment, those stones began to fall. He says, listen, I don't, I don't have time for this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you guys a lesson this morning. I'm going to teach a lesson that's going to reverberate through all of human history. Let he who has never sinned be the first to cast a stone. And in the very next verse, it says at this, those who, began, or those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. And it's such a powerful image here. Jesus gives this command. He says, you who have never sinned, you be the first to throw your stone at her. You be the first to begin the killing. And one by one, those stones begin to fall. And one by one, the people begin to leave. Whether they were guilty or they just knew they were beat, they decided to leave. But then there's this powerful image of when all the dust has settled and all there's just heaps of rocks everywhere. It's just the woman and Jesus. It's just the two of them. And there's, there's power, I find, for two reasons there. One, because Jesus, as we've said before, he was the only one that could have picked up the stone. Because he alone was sinless. He alone was perfect. He had every right to pick up the stone if he wanted to. But instead of picking up the stone, he decided to reach out his hand to the woman. And we see this image of Jesus and the woman. And I want to encourage you guys today that if you've gone, if you're going through a struggle, if you found yourself in this situation where you failed, I want you to know that it's between you and Jesus today. And he's not looking to throw a stone at you. He's looking to reach out his hand and bring healing in your life. And so Jesus, he reaches down and he looks at this woman. And in the very next verse, he says, woman, where are your accusers? All those people that had stones, all those people that were ready to end this, where are they? And it's like you kind of get this image that this woman, like our, like our point of the message was, like the story I shared in the beginning, this woman had literally come to the end. I mean, this was it. Like, if there was ever an example of someone whose life was falling apart and in shambles, this was it. All right, not only had she failed, she'd been caught, and she was literally moments away from death. Moments away from it all being, I mean, that is the definition of falling off the track, out of the race, and in need of help. And he says, where's your accusers? All those people that were ready to destroy you, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And I, I, I don't know exactly what happened in this moment, but I almost get this image that the woman 
like her face was down. She didn't want to watch. She didn't want to know what was going to happen. And all of a sudden, she looks up and she realizes that no one's left or that no one is there anymore. And she looks and says, I, I guess no one is here. And then Jesus says, I believe some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. He says, neither do I condemn you. And in that moment, in that moment, I believe Jesus revealed to everyone in that moment what he came to do and what it's going to take to get back in the race and finish strong. He says, neither do I condemn you. He says, neither do I. And it's such a powerful word because literally Jesus was surrounded by people that all they wanted to do was condemn this woman. But he says, neither do I condemn you. And I, what, what I find so powerful about this is you and I have this, this habit, I think, sometimes of romanticizing the Bible in a way that we shouldn't. And when we read this story, it's easy to see the Pharisees as the villains and the woman as the victim. The woman is not really a victim in this story. The woman was a sinner. The woman had messed up. She had failed. She was a homewrecker. I mean, this woman was not a good person. But that's the one that Jesus decided to stand with. He didn't decide to stand with the religious people. He wanted to stand with this woman because he knew that this failure didn't have to dictate her future. He knew that this failure didn't have to be the end of her story. He knew that there was more for her. He knew that this didn't have to be the end, that this didn't have to be her destruction, that there was more that God had for this woman. And so he looks at that woman and says, I don't condemn you. In John 3.16, we all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would never perish, but have everlasting life. But a lot of us don't know the next verse, which is equally as powerful, when it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through his son the world might be saved. Jesus has not come to condemn you. No matter what anyone has told you today, Jesus did not come to condemn you. You and I stand condemned on our own. Our sin condemns us. Our sin is what condemns us. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to give us hope. Jesus came to restore us and make a way where there was no other way. And he looks at this woman who all she had felt in that day was condemnation. And he said, I didn't come to condemn you. I came so that you might find life. I came so that you might find freedom in my name. And I love in Romans... Romans 8.1, Paul says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Every one of us, we stand condemned apart from Jesus, but with him we stand free because of our advocate. Because we had an advocate that was fighting for us, an advocate that came and stood in the gap and said, I'm not done with them yet. I know that there's still more. I know that God has more for this individual. How many of you are thankful that there was a point in your life when God said, I'm not done with you yet? There are so, I've talked to so many of you have told me that there were moments where you were down and out and you were about to be it and it was almost over. And then God came and made a way because he was fighting for you. Because he was your advocate and because he wasn't done with you yet. He says, I didn't come to condemn you. But then he looks at this woman and he says, two, he says one sentence that we could preach months on because it's so powerful. But he says, go and leave your life of sin. He says, go leave your life of sin. And in that, Jesus, I think, said two powerful things that all of us need to know today. These are the two things I think that are key. If we fail when we sin, if we fall out of that race and we don't know where to go when our life is falling apart, these are the two things to know. First, he says, 
Go and leave your life of sin. Jesus made it very clear to this woman that she had sinned. All right, Jesus was not trying to sugarcoat this moment. He wasn't just trying to say, you know what, I know you've messed up, but that's okay, just keep moving forward. He needed her to know that you've sinned. He needed her to understand the depth of what she had done. And this woman, she had probably a front row seat to how devastating sin could be because it was moments away from costing her her life. She had a front row seat to what it meant to sin and the consequences. And that was only on the earthly side. That We're not even talking about the eternal side yet. But he needed this woman to understand that sin is destructive, that sin is evil in the eyes of God, and that sin will bring shame and it will bring guilt and it will bring condemnation. He needed to, her to understand the significance of her sin. And I think, personally, one of the greatest tragedies that's happening in more modern-day Christianity is we are diminishing the significance of sin. We're, we're treating sin more as like a, a sickness that you contract. We, we treat sin as just kind of a common thing. But until you understand the significance of sin, you'll never fully appreciate the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. You'll never really be able to appreciate what Jesus went through to save us until you understand how desperate we are apart from him. Until you realize the pain and destruction that your sin has caused. Until you understand what your sin has done to the heart of God and it's broken him and it's crushed him. Then you will begin to understand his grace and his power and his mercy. And he looked at this woman and he says, I need you to understand that you have sinned. I've saved you. I've saved you today. But I need you to understand that I actually had to save you because you're lost and because you're a sinner. But then... In the same sentence, he then offers her hope. And he offers her what to do. And he says, go and leave your sin. He says, you may be a sinner right now and you may be lost, but you don't have to stay that way. You can find hope and restoration in me. You can choose right now to walk away from that sin and find new life in my name. You can place your faith in me. And you can not only just find forgiveness, but you can find freedom from every sin. You can find freedom and hope in this life. He says you need to leave it behind. And that's the second thing is for so many of us, we've had emotional moments where our heart has been stirred over our sin, but then we've gone right back and lived the same way. And we've never repented and said no more. I'm never going back. It's as if Jesus was saying, listen, I saved you today, but if you go right back to this, you're going to be right back here. You're going to be right back in this moment. And it may not happen in the same way where they're going to stone you, but ultimately you will stand before God and you will be lost in your sin. And so Jesus is saying today, you can find hope. And just my great fear, my great pain is that a lot of us have been stirred. We've been stirred over our sins and we've felt like there's some negativity there, but we've never been transformed. And we've never truly placed our faith in Jesus and found freedom from our sins and found freedom in this life. But I want to encourage you, what John said when the, where we started this whole sermon, that, Jesus, that, that through Christ, we don't have to sin. He wrote these things so that we could be free, so that we could be made whole, so that we would know that no matter what we face, there is an advocate on our side that is fighting for us and believes in us that he is enough. And so with those powerful words, Jesus says, listen, I need you to understand that you've sinned. But I also want you to know that your sin doesn't have to define you. 
that your sin doesn't have to dictate your future. You can be made whole, and you can be made new in the power of Jesus Christ. And I just find it's just so 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 powerful, the imagery of this story, because Jesus, in the midst of all of these accusers, he comes and he tears down the stones. And the stones that were meant for that woman's destruction, he now is using to rebuild her life. And I want to encourage that that's exactly what he can do. You may feel like your life is falling apart. God can take the pieces of your life that feel shattered, and he can raise you up today. He can start a new story. He can do a new thing in your life. And so I don't know what failures you've experienced. I don't know what you've walked through. I don't know where you walk in today. But what I do know is that God's not done. And God's, God's not looking to throw a stone at you. God is looking to reach out his hand and say, follow me. I've got something more. I've got something new. And we don't know what happened to this woman after the story. We don't know where she went. We don't know if she followed Jesus or she went back. We don't know. But, the, but, but what I think was so powerful for John, and maybe why he left it there, is because that woman truly represents every single one of us. We're all that woman. We've all been there. And before God, we all stand where that woman stood. Guilty, condemned by our own sin, and in desperate need of an advocate. In desperate need of someone to come and rescue. We are all that woman today. And Jesus offers us the same hope that he offered that woman. You can either stay in your sin and you can find yourself back here over and over and over again until it ultimately leads to your destruction. Or today, you can choose life. Today, you can come and find hope in me. You can get back in the race. You may have not started out strong, but you can finish strong in me. And many of us are there today. We, we, we love to think about finishing strong, but we don't feel strong in this moment. There's something we've done. There's a failure in our lives. There's something, and we don't know where to go, where to turn. I just want to encourage you that it doesn't have to end that way. You may have come in here weak, but you can finish strong. It doesn't matter where your story has led you to this moment. Today is the day of salvation, and you can come to Jesus. You can find hope in his name, and you can begin to move forward. God is not done with you yet. God's story is far from being over in your life. God, God came And he gave his life so that you and I would know that there is hope in this world. And that hope has a name. That hope has a name. And and I want to just, I want to challenge us today. That no matter what you're experiencing, and our band, you guys can start making your way back up here today. We're going to close out here in a little worship and prayer. But I just want to encourage you today. That no matter what you're facing, no matter what you've done, no matter what mistakes you've made that it's not over. It's not over. And it's so easy sometimes to see our failures and think that it's done. It's over. God's through. God's just sitting there just like Jesus was on that day and he's saying, come to me. Jesus is coming. You know, I I just, I, I keep coming back to what I said before. In this whole story, Jesus stood with the sinner. Jesus was not ashamed to be identified with the woman on that day. Jesus knew that after that day, people were going to talk about him. That people were going to say, can you believe who Jesus stood with on that day? But he didn't care because his mission was to come and rescue lost people. He came to make the sinner free. He came to set the captives free. That's what Jesus came to do. And he was not ashamed and he's not ashamed today to identify with you. You are his child and he wants to be closer to you than you've ever known. And the stones in your life that were meant to destroy you, Jesus can come 
and rebuilds you. He can use them to rebuild you this morning. So you might be here today and you'd say, yeah, I've made a mess of things. I failed. I've sinned. I've fallen out of that race. And I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And my life feels like it's just falling apart. I want you to know that today, today can be the day of breakthrough. You don't have to stay in that state anymore. You can come before. You can come before God. You can confess those sins and find freedom and hope in his name. And you may be here and maybe there's something going on in your life that nobody else knows about. It's just something between you and God, a secret sin, something that's you know it's keeping you from a personal walk and relationship with Jesus Christ. I would encourage you today, make it right. Make it right before Jesus today. And I know there's some of us that we get caught up in our own egos. And we say, I could never admit these things. I could never ask for prayer for any of these things because then people would know what I've done. What's interesting about this story is that this woman, when this moment was done, regardless of what happened in her life, because we don't know, but she did have to go and face the world when this was over. Every person in that city knew what she did. She had to go face her husband, who she had cheated on. She may have had to face her children. And for the rest of her life, there might have been a stigma. But I want to encourage you that it doesn't matter because ultimately, just like that woman, this is between you and Jesus. And it doesn't matter what anyone else would think. There's nothing more important than entering into a lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ and finding the hope that is found in him. And who cares if anyone else would look down upon you because Jesus is standing with you. Because Jesus wasn't ashamed. He wasn't ashamed to go to the cross for you. And you may be here even today and maybe you're just saying, you know, I'm new to Christianity or I'm new to the ideas of Jesus and I'm not sure, but I would encourage you today, consider Jesus. A relationship with Jesus Christ is the greatest relationship that you'll ever have. Not because it promises that everything turns out perfectly, but because whatever, because we know that there's hope in his name. A relationship with Jesus will transform your life. And so if you're here today and you've never called upon the name of Jesus, but today you know that you need him, I want to encourage you, make today the day. Make today the day to come and find Jesus. I'm going to ask if um, we've got some prayer partners that are going to come and they're going to stand here at the front, some of our elders and deacons, and you guys can begin to make your way here this morning. We want to pray with people today. We really, we're going to open this up to everyone. We want to pray. But I just want to leave you with one final verse. Right after this story happened, if you remember in the beginning, Jesus was in the middle of teaching. This whole moment interrupted his teaching. But as soon as it's over and the dust has kind of settled, Jesus then looks at the crowd that he had just been speaking to. And he says these powerful words. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will walk in the light of life. I don't know about you. It's very hard to run a race in the dark. A lot of things that can go wrong. And for a lot of us, we've been trying to walk with Christ in the darkness, darkness in our own heart and our own lives. But Jesus promises that he will lead us and he will guide us. And after the aftermath of this moment, he just says, listen, guys, You've just seen before your eyes what I came to do, what the light of life looks like. 
and today it is available to everyone. There is no one here that has messed up too much for the forgiveness and freedom that Jesus comes, that Jesus came to deliver. There is no one here too far gone. There is no one here that can't find the hope that that woman found that day. And I just want to encourage everyone, don't let anything get in the way between you and making things right with him this morning. So I'm going to ask all of us to stand here today. Our team, they're going to lead us in a song. And so what I want to do with our final time remaining is if you're here today and you know you need Jesus, if you've never called upon him before, but you know today you need the hope that is found in Jesus Christ, you need to find mercy and forgiveness. When we begin to sing, I want to encourage you to come forward. We want to pray with you. We want to answer your questions. We've got a a gift that we want to give to you. But if you've maybe been in the church for a long time, but you've fallen away and you know there's things in your life and you feel like everything's falling apart, come, let us pray for you. If you're here and maybe there's that secret sin, that thing in your life that no one else knows about, don't let ego get in the way today. Come and find mercy and forgiveness in Jesus' name. But we also, we want to open the altars for everybody today because maybe, maybe what you're facing today isn't a sin issue per se. But maybe there's something else that's threatening to knock you off course. Maybe you've had a a medical situation, a a sickness or illness that's got the potential to knock you out of, of the race. We want to pray and believe for healing today. How many of you believe God still can heal our physical bodies today? Amen. And I know because we get prayer requests every day. I know there's people in this building that you need a breakthrough in your body. And we believe that today that could happen. And so if you're sick, we want to invite you to the altars. Maybe your marriage is falling apart or you're having a relational crisis. Today, we want you to pray. Whether your spouse is here or not, let's come and let's pray and believe for healing. Maybe your, your children have fallen away from the Lord or they need to know the message of Christ. Maybe you've got friends and family that need to know Jesus. Come before and stand on their behalf and pray and believe God for breakthrough. And then I, I really feel passionate about this right now because I've been talking to so many people and this seems to be so prevalent in, in the church in general. But there is a, a spirit of fear and anxiety that is crippling people, just crippling people in a way that we've never seen before. There's fear, there is anxiety, there is depression, there is mental illness. And we just want to come and pray healing on your life today. And I don't know of many things that have the potential to derail you the way fear can, the way anxiety can. And today we believe that's done. We believe that you can come before uh, Lord today. We can pray for you. And it's not because we prayed for you. We don't have any power. But we just believe that prayer opens up the opportunity for God to move in our hearts and our lives. And so if you are struggling with fear and depression, anxiety, anything like that, I want to invite you to come. Today, these altars are open for everyone because we want everyone to finish strong. And so as we sing this song, if you need Jesus, if you need healing, if you need freedom, if you need to experience freedom in your mind, whatever it is, come find one of our prayer partners and let us pray for you. And let's believe God together. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the hope that is found in you. And we just pray, Lord, for the next few moments that you would move among us. We pray we'd see breakthroughs. We pray that you would move in hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. If you need prayer for anything this morning, come forward. Let us pray for you right now. Healing, whatever it is, sickness, fear, depression. If you know you need Jesus, if you need prayer, don't wait another moment because today could be your breakthrough. Don't leave without finding what God has for you in this moment. Let's sing together.